Hello and welcome to episode one of Mum Will Know with me, Claire Wind, midwife and mum. Join me each week as we delve into topics from conception to kids in kindy with the aim to become confident and well-informed mums. Today, as a starter, I thought I'd talk you through one of the topics I get asked about most by my friends. Being a midwife means I often get the privilege of finding out my friends are pregnant much earlier than most people. It's not just because people love telling me, but it's because no one really knows what to do when they find out they're pregnant. Whether or not the pregnancy was planned, people pee on a stick, get a plus sign, and then think, okay, what next? And rightly so. If it's your first pregnancy, it's not really clear what happens next. Technically, you can just go on with life, knowing that you're pregnant and letting things take their path. But I thought I'd give you a rundown of some important things to think of in those first few weeks when you know you're pregnant. A bit of a what to do or what to expect when you first find out you're pregnant. So firstly, if you feel pregnant or you've missed your period and you think it could be possible, the first and easiest way to find out you're pregnant is to pee on a at-home pregnancy test, which is like a little stick. If you've been trying, you probably have a three-pack laying in your medicine cabinet, uh, which is a good idea because it is normal for it to take a while to fall pregnant. Uh, How they work is that they basically pick up in your urine a high level of the hormone beta-HCG, which signifies that you are indeed pregnant. It's usually displayed as either a plus or two lines, but each test will have instructions on what is positive and what's negative. Something to be aware of is that even if the line or cross is super faint, it's still positive. The extra line only comes up if the beta-HCG is detected and it may just be that you're really early on and that the levels aren't that high. So if you're confused or you're just not sure, you can always wait a few days and do another test to confirm. But either way, congratulations. (laughs) So you squeal with delight or you burst into tears and you shove the stick into your partner's face exclaiming, we're pregnant. And after a few hours or days of letting that settle in, you then think, ah, what next? What do we do now? This is generally when I get a phone call or a text message asking that exact question. Hey Claire, so it's super early on I think but I've just found out I'm pregnant and wanted to know if there's anything I'm meant to be doing right now or something along those lines. So first of all before anything else I'd say start taking pregnancy multivitamins. If you've been intentionally trying to get pregnant, you should be taking these already because it's recommended that you take these for at least three months before falling pregnant. But if not, don't stress and just start taking them. So multivitamins like Elevate or Swiss, just to name a few, uh, contain many vitamins and minerals which are important to cover the nutritional gaps that you may have in your diet. Even if you think that you have a pretty great diet already, It's a good idea to take these supplements anyway because they have specific amounts of each vitamin to meet the growing or increased nutritional needs that you have when you're actually growing a baby. So in particular, what's important in pregnancy are higher levels of folic acid, iodine, iron, and calcium. I'll go through those and why they're important just because... I can. (laughs) So folic acid especially is one you'll hear about and it's important in the very early stages of baby's development and it prevents neural tube birth defects. So basically the brain and the spinal cord. 
So it's recommended to take 400 micrograms daily, but for women who have had a child with a neural tube defect before, like say spina bifida, uh, the dose will be much higher. Iodine is essential both for the woman and the baby. So for the pregnant woman, it helps with maternal thyroid function. And it's very common actually in pregnancy for women to be diagnosed with hypothyroidism where their thyroid is underactive. So supplementing with iodine may prevent that. Uh, And then looking at the growing baby, uh, deficiency in iodine can affect the development of the baby's brain uh, and can lead to mental disability, deafness, insufficient growth, and has even been linked to miscarriage and stillbirth. And then iron is something women in general are more likely to be deficient in, even when not pregnant. So it's essential in the red blood cell formation, which is what carries oxygen through our bodies. In pregnancy as well, we've actually got a massive increase in blood volume and that often causes a drop in iron levels. So monitoring this is really important for both the mum and baby's sake when you're pregnant. Uh, It's also important because it prepares you for the fact that it is normal for a mother to lose up to 500 mils of blood at birth and sometimes more as well as then continued postnatal bleeding over the next few weeks. So ensuring your iron levels are sufficient prior to birth is essential for your own recovery as well. And then calcium as a supplement is important as the developing baby needs calcium for their healthy bones, teeth, nerves, and their heart. And basically taking that as a supplement will ensure that your own bone density doesn't become affected because the baby will take what it needs from you. And so the additional calcium is required for you. So yeah, pop out to a chemist before anything else and start taking a pregnancy vitamin. The next step once pregnant is to book in to see your GP. If you're planning to get pregnant, it's a good idea to see your GP before you even start trying so that you can check off all your immunizations and your blood work is normal. But if you haven't done this, don't stress. Book a visit with your GP and they'll do a whole host of blood tests. The first will be to check your beta-HCG so that hormone I was talking about in your urine, but it will then, I guess, confirm your pregnancy again. Uh, Then they'll also screen for a range of things that are important to know in pregnancy because it'll affect the management of your pregnancy continuing on, uh, whether you're high risk or low risk or how you should be cared for basically. So your blood will be tested and it'll be looking for what blood group you are, for example, like O positive, O negative, AB, AB, et cetera. And that is also tested to see whether your blood has any antibodies. If you are negative, a negative blood group, this will mean that you'll be recommended some injections in your third trimester and after the baby's born called anti-D. And I'll talk more about that in another podcast because it's important. And then you'll also be tested for levels of iron, like I've mentioned, and thyroid hormones, as well as your immunity to rubella. It is also standard to test for syphilis and HIV, hep B and hep C. And continuing through the pregnancy, you'll have more and more blood tests. So I guess get used to the needles. But yeah, these initial tests are important early on in the pregnancy. Your GP then should give you a referral for an ultrasound. I guess at this point, your GP will ask you if you remember the date of your first day of your last period. So first day of the last period you had, uh, because this can give you some idea of when the baby was conceived And therefore, you can kind of calculate how far along in the pregnancy you are. So from then, an expected date of birth can be calculated, which is basically 280 days from that first day of your last period. 
So on a side note, it is important to understand that this is an estimated date and that your baby can actually arrive anytime from 37 to 42 weeks and still be considered ready to be born, so fully developed and healthy. I think it's something like only 5% of babies are actually born on their due date. But if you're unsure of your last menstrual period, that LMP, which is the date that the doctor asks you, or if your periods have been irregular, it's important to have an early ultrasound to try and accurately estimate the baby's gestation or how how far along the baby is, and then to calculate an expected date of birth. So this is actually generally nowadays recommended for everyone, even if they feel pretty confident with the date of conception or their last menstrual period. Most care providers like to see an early pregnancy ultrasound where the baby's measured, a heartbeat seen, and then a due date is calculated. So either way, the GP should give you an ultrasound referral for this early scan. I'd say aim for this to happen somewhere around the baby being six to eight weeks gestation so that you can see the baby's heart beating. Obviously, if you have no clue when the baby was conceived or how many weeks along you are, then just book in for an ultrasound and that will clear everything up. The GP should also discuss with you at this first visit, or I guess when you return maybe to get the results from your blood test, the options for screening for chromosomal abnormalities, so things like Down syndrome. The GP should explain your options are basically a blood test called the NIPT, and this kind of happens from about 10 weeks on. And there's also the nuchal translucency test, which involves another ultrasound, and that's generally around 12 weeks. Then your GP should start talking you through options for the care you receive in your pregnancy and birth. First, you'll need to think about what hospital you want to deliver at, if you want to deliver at a hospital, and who you want to look after you in your pregnancy. Do you want to see an obstetrician privately? Would you like a midwife? Would you like to continue seeing your GP through the pregnancy and then just have whoever's on at the birth unit when you go into labor? It's important that your GP knows what options are around to give you the best information for you to choose what's going to be best for you. In my experience, GPs, as a generalization, unfortunately don't know much more than either a private doctor or the public system. So it may be up to you to research more specifically what models of care are available to you. I won't go into them all now, but I'll share the names of the care options that you should Google so that then you can kind of look things up. Basically, you might want to lock in what hospital you want to birth at. And from there, they often talk you through their options of care at that first appointment you have with them, which is normally around 14 or 16 weeks. But I think it's always helpful to have access to as much information as possible to make you feel most confident in your decision-making process. So start Googling these. I'll I'll list them off because there's a few and see what's available for you in your area and what looks best for you. So continuity of midwifery care options are seen to basically research shows women and babies feel a whole lot more satisfied with their care and with the birth if they've had care by the same midwives throughout their entire pregnancy, birth and postnatal period. So some of these models where you get continuity of midwifery care are known as MGP or midwifery group practice, caseload programs, birth centre in public hospitals and the option of a private midwife who can offer home birth or work within a public hospital. Public hospitals also offer a general midwifery clinic where you basically see a different midwife at every appointment and then for the labour and birth you just have whoever's on in the labour ward that day. 
And then through the public system, you also have the option to choose GP shared care, which is basically you do most of your appointments with your GP, uh, a few with a midwife at the hospital, and then you just basically turn up to birthing suite and have whichever midwife's on. If you have multiple risks coming into the pregnancy, like a pre-existing medical condition or a history of extensive surgeries or illnesses, the public system also offers obstetric pregnancy care, which basically means you just see a doctor through the, the public system. You're also likely to be seen by an obstetrician if you have higher risk pregnancy, so something like twins or a breech baby, or you've got conditions like gestational diabetes or preeclampsia, among many other issues. And then, of course, there is private care through an obstetrician who can deliver at a private hospital or a public hospital. So again, I'm not going to go into the pros and cons of each model of care here, but I encourage you to do some research into what options are around your area and what will work best for you and your family. After this, it seems busy and overwhelming, this first visit to your GP. So you may want to take a bit of a breather, (laughs) but really it isn't that much. And you've got a decent few months to do your research before really getting into starting those kind of regular checkups or appointments. You continue with your GP through the first trimester, which is the first 12 weeks. So you've always got someone you can go back to if you have any concerns or questions or early pregnancy symptoms like morning sickness, for example. And then I'd say the next thing to think through would be your diet and lifestyle. So first and foremost, if you're a smoker, to put it bluntly, stop smoking. If you can't stop, cut down at least. Smoking has significant effects on the growing baby, including stunted growth and development, increased risk of the baby having low birth weight or birth defects, and it also changes the baby's brain and lungs. It can also cause complications in the pregnancy itself, including miscarriage and stillbirth, premature labor, problems with the placenta where it comes off early, which can be fatal, or it covers the cervix or the opening there. So there's a lot of risks associated with smoking. So if you do want help with quitting, definitely talk to your GP and contact Quitline. There are also other things to cut out when pregnant. Alcohol is one of them. Basically, there is no safe period in the pregnancy to drink and there's no safe level of alcohol to drink. So your safest bet is not drinking at all. It's also worth cutting back on caffeine intake in pregnancy because high levels of caffeine can be associated with miscarriage as well as low birth weight babies, which can lead to further medical problems for the baby. Uh, Basically, it's recommended to have less than 300 milligrams of caffeine per day when you're pregnant. So you may need to limit your coffee or your tea or your Coke or chocolate intake accordingly. Basically, what you're looking at is having one espresso coffee a day or maybe three to four cups of tea a day. In terms of food, the biggest concern is eating something contaminated with bacteria, which causes the infection listeriosis. It's quite dangerous in pregnancy and can cause miscarriage or stillbirth, premature birth, and the sick baby once they are born. So what's important to note is that listeria isn't killed in the fridge like other bacterias. Uh, So all meats, fish, seafood, everything should be properly cooked. So there goes any sushi lunches at work or the beef tartare at the next wedding you attend. Deli meats are often avoided. However, as long as these meats like salami and ham are cooked above 75 degrees Celsius, they're fine to eat. Similarly, it's important if eating leftovers to reheat them well and only eat them within 24 hours of it first being cooked. 
In terms of foods to avoid, uh, classy meats like pate are a (laughs) no-no. Soft cheeses like brie and ricotta, soft serve ice cream can be risky due to what is the way that they're stored. Fish that's high in mercury, so things like marlin, swordfish, flake, which are actually most of the fish that you find in fish and chips at a takeaway store, they should be replaced by other seafood. Unpasteurized dairy products have a high risk of listeria, but in Australia, thankfully, most products in supermarkets are pasteurized, so you should be fairly safe there. Raw or undercooked eggs can contain both listeria and salmonella, so skipping out on chocolate mousse or runny egg yolks or fresh mayonnaise would be your best bet there. Sprouts, so everything sprouts, bean sprouts, alfalfa, snow peas sprouts, Basically, anything sprouts, they're risky and they can be contaminated with salmonella, listeria, and E. coli. So definitely worth cutting completely out of your diet when pregnant. And to go on with salads, deli salads that have been pre-made and sitting around for a few hours are more likely to contain listeria too. So it's worth making salads fresh. Always wash your salad ingredients as well. So you should be doing that anyway, but in pregnancy, it's especially important. Now, this list seems long, but it's it's also not everything. So I'd advise you to go to our website, which is called foodauthority.com to see specifics. They have this awesome table, which is like color-coded. It's like traffic lights. Red equals don't eat. Orange equals eat with caution. Green is fine to eat. So I'll share a link to that site in the show notes for you to go check out yourself. It's also important to realize when you are pregnant that you actually aren't eating for two. I know I use that excuse mostly when I wanted to snack on something generally processed and not good for my body. And yes, we do need more nutrients and minerals than before being pregnant, but not double. It's definitely not more junk food either that we need. So on that note, something to keep in mind through your pregnancy is weight gain. So some of us like to let loose a little in pregnancy, but there is evidence that shows gaining too much weight in pregnancy can increase the risk of your baby being larger than normal, which can lead to further complications at birth, like things like shoulder dystocia or preterm birth. Also, excess weight gain in pregnancy is shown to increase your risk of developing conditions like hypertension or gestational diabetes, preeclampsia, having a cesarean section, and also weight retention postnatally. So normally at that first visit with your GP, they'll get you to weigh yourself to get a pre-pregnant weight, in inverted commas, despite the fact that you actually are already a couple of weeks pregnant. But your BMI should then be calculated. And from there, a certain number of kilograms are recommended that you should put on. So, you know, those women who start their pregnancy at a normal weight or a healthy BMI are recommended to gain between 11 and 16 kilograms in their pregnancy. However, if you're overweight, you are recommended to put on less. If you're underweight, you're recommended to put on more kilograms. So it's a good idea to keep an eye on your weight gain in pregnancy and also try to remain healthy and active, despite the truth that really all you feel like doing is eating carbs and sleeping all the time. (laughs) Also, another thing to think about and discuss with your GP is if you're on any medications, whether or not you can continue taking them when you're pregnant. So this is another reason why it's a good idea to see a GP before you conceive so that if you are taking any potentially harmful medications to the baby, you can stop or you can change the medications that you're on because some medications can interfere with the maturation and development of a baby 
and can cause things like malformations or birth defects. So whether or not you've discussed it prior to the pregnancy, it's definitely worth figuring out and chatting to your GP. The other option is to call MotherSafe, which is a free telephone service based in Sydney, which are open Monday to Friday in business hours. And they're awesome. They can counsel women and also healthcare providers, so midwives and doctors often call them. And they talk you through the safety or the dangers of specific medications and other exposures in pregnancy and breastfeeding. So definitely a number to keep on your fridge or at hand so that you can call for any medications as well that you may be put on in your pregnancy or when you're breastfeeding. So things like antibiotics or creams or things like that. And then finally, the last tip I'd give to my friends at this stage is take it easy. I remember in my first trimester when I was pregnant, it was literally the most tired I'd ever been in my life. And I'm a midwife, like I work night shifts and I've been on call for births, but this was far worse. So try and get rest when you can. Go to bed early. You're making a human. You may also find you start to notice other early pregnancy symptoms like morning sickness I mentioned earlier. Uh, So rest when you can. Ask for help from your partner or your family and take care of yourself. So once again, congratulations. Being pregnant can be one of the most exciting and trying experiences of your life. Track along the pregnancy with an app or start learning about your baby online. I had one of those apps that told me the development stages and it likened my baby's size to a fruit or a vegetable, which I found helpful with connecting with him. And I hope today's little rundown has been helpful and gives you somewhere to start. Once you get connected with a good GP or when you've chosen your care provider, like a midwife or doctor, then the rest of the pregnancy should be much more clearly laid out and managed. So just to highlight, I guess, what the points were today. Firstly, pee on a stick and confirm you're pregnant. Congrats. Second, start taking daily pregnancy multivitamins. They're super important. Third, visit your GP and your GP will do blood tests. They'll try and figure out your expected due date. Uh, They'll give you an ultrasound referral. They'll talk you through whether or not you'd be interested in screening for abnormalities, so the Down syndrome tests. And then they'll also give you ideas of where to go from there for your pregnancy and birth care, so your models of care that I highlighted. Uh, Fourth, work on your diet and lifestyle. Under that, it's quit smoking, cut back on harmful foods and drinks, eat a healthy diet, exercise, check if the medications that you take are safe in pregnancy, and finally, take care of yourself. Thanks again for listening in. I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's topic. Have you found you were in the same boat, getting pregnant and then being a bit stuck on what happens next? Have I missed anything that you'd recommend? I'd love to know. Shoot me a message on Instagram at mumwillknow. And if you found this helpful, I'd love if you could give me a positive rating on iTunes. Also, if you want to look further into some of the things I've shared, head to my show notes at mumwillknow.com for links on further information. And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss out on next week's episode where I interview my first expert. Have a great week.